You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner, entitled, What is Necessary in These Urgent Times? This is Lecture 8, entitled, The Nature of the Threefold Social Organism, given in Dornach on January 31, 1920. I would like to begin today by making you aware of something regarding the criticisms that have been brought against the connection of our anthroposophically oriented spiritual movement with social life. You already know about the inner connection existing between the two. I have spoken of that often. I have also drawn your attention to just how little prepared a spiritual movement will be to fulfill the tasks of this time if it shies away from the important questions facing humanity at present, if it ignores the most crucial demands made of it in the present and the near future. Yesterday, I discussed the fact that dreamlike elements creep into daily human thinking life. And I also told you about the various ways, or at least about one of the various ways, in which these dreamlike elements do this. We must be especially aware of their presence in our thinking when we encounter fully formed opinions coming to us from the outside world. It is indeed the case that we do not sufficiently examine a large portion of what we think, that we do not first live into it ourselves and do nothing more than repeat what we have heard, treating it as though it were our own opinion. You need only look back on the countless judgments people have made in various nations during the past four or five years about the fate of the world, the worth of other nations, or the causes of the war. You will not be able to avoid the conclusion that the vast majority of these judgments, even the ones made by people whom you would have liked to think were different from the rest, are untested and unconsidered. People simply repeat them, reiterate them, treat them as though they were their own thoughts and assessments. I might also take this opportunity to remind you that when I have spoken here about events and phenomena in the world, I have never presented fully formed assessments to you, but rather have sought to characterize matters in such a way that they might help you arrive at your own conclusions. More and more this mode of presentation should take hold in the world, giving people a foundation on which they can build their own opinions, rather than presenting ones to them that are already formed. But people today have the tendency, upon hearing something, particularly when it is spoken with strong self-awareness or filled with a kind of fanaticism that might be difficult to recognize, to take on fully formed opinions as their own and repeat them in their speech and thoughts. And since a few of our English friends are still here, I must touch on the following example, though it may also be recognizable to others from other parts of the world. The opinion has been expressed in certain places that anthroposophically oriented spiritual science, which has its center here in Dornach, 
is getting involved in political life, and that a movement such as ours should have no such involvement. It should be noted, for one, that during its heyday the Catholic Church also was involved in affairs one would normally refer to as political. When such an opinion is expressed, it sounds in many ways like something commonly believed. And when someone hears such an opinion expressed, it seems more or less reasonable. That person says, yes, there really is something to that. It is a lot of nonsense that a spiritual scientific movement would get involved with a question like the threefolding of society. Now, the original assessment of these matters is of the sort I have already characterized for you today, one perpetuated in a manner similar to the way that students in modern schools regurgitate countless superficial ways of thinking. This age believes it has progressed very far in the development of its thinking, and it is true that elevating our thinking to a certain level is one of the tasks we must complete if humanity is not to fall into ruin. But the call for a clear, sharp way of thinking, specifically a thinking that is inwardly true, for all unclear thinking is also treacherous, the demand for a clear, sharp, inwardly true thinking stands opposed to the impulse to think unclearly in a way that is unfinished, the impulse to simply half-think, to think something you hear as if it were your own thought and then repeat it. I would go on to say to you that there is something fundamentally superficial about the assessment that anthroposophically oriented spiritual science has, in considering the question of threefolding, strayed into political life where it does not belong. This assessment is entirely abstract. It takes something that might very well be true of the Catholic Church and imposes it onto something of an entirely different nature. This would be similar to learning that it is good to put shoes on your feet and then applying what you have learned about the proper use of shoes to determine the proper use of gloves. Such an assessment of spiritual science is equally misguided. Why? What is the most basic principle of the threefold social order? Its primary intent is to clearly divide spiritual life in order to have its own realm from political or rights life and from economic life, which each should also be separate from the other two. Now let us think this through objectively and clearly, not superficially, like those who say that anthroposophy should have nothing to do with politics. What are we seeking to achieve through the kind of delineation I have just described? Well, spiritual life is to stand apart from everything else. It is to develop on its own foundation, and only carry out actions that come out of its own impulses. We are striving to ensure that spiritual life is no longer entwined in political and economic life, but rather free and independent, in a way the Catholic Church, which was always tangled up in political and economic life, could never be. We want to ensure that we are in a position to bring all of the impulses of spiritual life into reality. Think about how ridiculous, how superficial it is when someone says that anthroposophy should not try to move into political life, when it is actually anthroposophy 
that is demanding a social organization in which spiritual life would no longer be connected to politics at all. We should create a political system in which spiritual life can give form to itself, can have its own inner organization. And it should no longer be the case that when you want to found a school or rework a curriculum, you have to turn to individuals in the political sphere, for this is what makes us dependent upon politics. In this example, you can see what truly clear thinking means in comparison to the way in which people take in what comes flying toward them and then simply stumble upon opinions about impulses that come out of the spiritual world. For the idea of the threefold social order comes out of initiation science. And the person who says that anthroposophically oriented spiritual science should have nothing to do with the threefold social order does not understand anything at all and is not thinking clearly. Furthermore, that person does not understand anything about the true impulses of spiritual science and does not see that these matters, which are connected with the great tasks of this time, are taken out of the impulses of spiritual science. Countless assessments, (laughs) rife with the same sort of contradictions, are publicly aired and then parroted along by a large portion of the population these days. The task that lies before us is, above all else, to attempt to arrive at a pure, clear, inwardly true thinking, free also from any attachment to nationalistic chauvinism. We will not get there unless we first recognize that right now we are very far from it. For if you do not feel how distant the judgments made today are from a place of objectivity, you will not feel the impulse to arrive at clarity, at a thinking that is inwardly true. I would like to give you another example of how mistaken judgments move through the world, one that is unlike this misconception of the relationship between the threefold social order and spiritual scientific problems. I know well that such assessments confound many because people do not think them through. They believe that there is something to it when people say anthroposophy should not be concerned with the threefold social order. For this opinion supports those who believe that a spiritual movement can be of service in the world only when it stands apart from it. Some are striving for this sort of separation. Thus anyone who makes judgments like this is seeing only half of the picture. With all of this in mind, I would like to suggest that you consider that there are half-formed opinions residing deep within human beings everywhere, judgments lacking in any sort of foundation. It is especially easy, we can speak about this generally, when working out of a superficial assessment of something, to criticize this or that piece of what anthroposophically oriented spiritual science offers. If you do not sense the depths out of which these things are drawn, it is possible to make judgments of anthroposophy based upon the most superficial opinions of the day. This is why we so often hear from people who have actually barely even had a whiff of anthroposophy, speaking, in quotes, cleverly and saying, well, that that I can agree with, uh, that I do not agree with, and so on. 
The task for those who have a proper feeling for these matters is always to penetrate ever deeper into them, thereby gaining some sense that initiation truths are actually drawn up from the very depths of being. For when you truly grasp in a deeper way what I have merely touched upon so far, you will have a deeper understanding for the following. In recent history, we have experienced an increased intermingling within the social order of spiritual life, rights life, and economic life. Modern parliaments strive, by a process of majority rules, to make decisions regarding matters about which its members may know nothing, decisions about matters that can really only be decided by someone who does know something about them. A single parliament is supposed to make decisions about all manner of things, about spiritual life, about political life, about economic life. Yet in the moment when spiritual life, let us start there, is divided from the other two, from the rights political and from the economic spheres, it is only then that it is fully brought to human beings. Spiritual life becomes its own organism. Spiritual life should give form to itself according to the same principles by which it is constantly being drawn up from the depths. People who have something to teach should also be the ones to give form to the process by which teachers are hired or to the form that the schools take. Spiritual life should be allowed to support itself in complete freedom. This will ensure that the capabilities of each individual are always called up in service to spiritual life. This will ensure that those decisions which must be made regarding spiritual life are dependent upon the capabilities of human beings, the capacities of those human beings who are present at the time of the decision. This is the way it should be. It should not be that those who are capable of doing something or other in a particular era at a particular time, are hindered or prevented by some sort of state or parliamentarian structure in bringing that capability forth. This makes spiritual life entirely dependent upon human beings. But in that nothing else is allowed to affect the development of spiritual life except human beings, what I described yesterday that ever-developing element of spiritual life, is what is actively, actively at work in the world. I called upon Raphael as a characteristic example. If his works were to be long forgotten, then what he developed through the creation of those works would continue to exist in the world. This principle of inner development becomes the very thing that actively affects spiritual life. In other words, the separation of spiritual life from the state greatly hinders everything luciferic. <clears throat> and only through this division can luciferic forces be diminished. Everything in spiritual life that is dependent upon the state is imbued with luciferic impulses. When majority voting or something similar plays a role in spiritual life, marring everything coming out of human individuality, then clear thinking and definite willing, both of which come out of that human individuality, become blurred, 
this blurring of sharpness and definition in thinking and willing, is precisely what allows the Luciferic element to enter human beings. Thus we can say, all aspects of spiritual life bound up in political life bear a Luciferic character. And in order to overcome this Luciferic character, which indeed must be overcome in public spiritual life, we must be free that spiritual life, excuse me, we must free that spiritual life from the right's life. An individual human being cannot overcome it, for dream elements, I pointed this out to you yesterday, must always play a role in our spiritual life. But we withdraw from the influence of this element by participating in public spiritual life, so long as that spiritual life is held separate from the state. Similarly, when the economic life is bound up in the state, aramonic elements play a role in it. The aramonic elements that play into economic life when the state takes part in its affairs will be defeated only when that economic life in corporations, associations and so on, as I have often stressed here, is built upon a life of brotherhood. You see that when we speak about the threefold social order, we are dealing with truly significant principles. In the middle of this picture stands the state organization, everything relating solely to public rights. Now, let us recall something I have talked about here before, but which I will now review for those who have not heard it. Human beings live not only during their time here on earth between birth and death, but also we all bear within us the echoes of what we lived through between our previous death and the birth that marked the beginning of our present life. During this time, between death and a new birth, we experienced things in the spiritual world that continue to echo into our current lives. How do these echoes affect life in the public sphere? Everything that human beings bring into public life in the form of their particular talents and gifts, in other words, everything that constitutes public spiritual life, all of this does not come from the earth. Rather, these talents and gifts are echoes of the pre-earthly life. Everything that Goethe brought into the world between 1749 and 1832, all of that was influenced by what he had experienced in the spiritual world prior to 1749. He brought it all down with him. And everything here on earth that develops in the form of art and science and religious impulses, in other words, everything that develops into earthly spiritual life, all of that is an echo of the more than earthly spiritual life brought by individuals through the gates of birth. If you look at literature, if you look at art, everything you find there has been sent down from the spiritual world. In these abilities we find present in our social life, we have an element that has simply been sent down to us from the spiritual worlds. Human beings bring it down by entering through the gates of birth into this world between birth and death. On the other hand, everything done in economic life, through brotherhood or non-brotherhood, everything that human beings do for one another, all of their business. As strange as it sounds, all of this does not hold any real meaning 
for the life between birth and death. It holds real meaning for the life that comes after death. That is where it really matters whether I spent my entire life as a miser, living with greed as my guiding principle, or whether I acted out of love for humankind. This this bearing toward the world, insofar as it enters public life, insofar as it brings people into contact with one another, the significance of this bearing toward the world will be carried through the gates of death and will hold a profound meaning for the whole of our lives between the death we encounter at the end of this earthly life and the beginning of our next earthly life. We can say, what plays out here as economic life is the cause for how we will live between death and a new birth. If, for example, an economic organization is built solely upon egotism, then human beings will be hermits, in a very extreme sense, between death and a new birth. They will have great difficulty even finding other human beings. To put it briefly, the way in which people conduct themselves in economic life has a tremendous impact on the life between death and the next birth. This leaves the rights or political life, which is the only one that is purely earthly. It holds no meaning for life either pre-birth or post-death. It only holds meaning for what happens here on earth. If we completely separate the rights life from the two others, we also separate the earthly from all of the more than earthly things that are a part of our existence on earth. Thus there are significant principles underlying the relationships outlined in the threefold social order. We divide affairs into three realms because we must hold the two vastly different areas related to the supersensory world apart from the only one related solely to the sensory life between birth and death. The things in human life that can only be decided through majority votes, those things can have significance here on earth. The things we do because of talents or capacities that we were born with and develop throughout our life, as I have described to you, these things are done out of one's human individuality, and the, quote, prince of this world, close quote, to use an old turn of phrase, rules from his throne in the moments when majority decisions somehow hinder that individuality. Majority rulings can be applied, it should be reiterated, only to things relating to purely earthly affairs. Because for everything that holds meaning after death, the strength of human love, humanity and goodwill, all things that are and can only be left to the individual must be developed. Along with this, let me point out something here that further strengthens the idea of the threefold social order, but can only be gained through initiation science. What areas of our world does the infiltration of Luciferic and Aramonic forces affect? The infiltration of all Luciferic and Aramonic forces causes something to move into the world from out of abnormal spectrums of consciousness. When we come into the world to the gates of birth, we leave a normal spectrum of consciousness of an entirely different nature 
than the earthly and enter into the earthly spectrum of consciousness. At this point in the fifth post-Atlantean epoch, dream consciousness, which is to say a daytime consciousness filled with dream images, is abnormal. If we allow dreams to enter our thinking, we mix something we are only to have during our life prior to birth with all that plays out in our life between birth and death. And this intermingling is especially helpful to Lucifer in the achievement of his goal for us, which is not the normal, godly goal of earth. Any time abnormal dream elements play into present-day consciousness, this can only lead to a greater influence of Lucifer on humanity. It is normal to allow ourselves to develop in a dreamlike state during the time in which our consciousness is itself still dreamlike, namely during childhood. If we maintain the same relationship to the world that is perfectly natural for a child, for example during the years in which we should learn to speak as though learning it in a dream, beyond the age of childhood, which a large portion of humanity does these days, then we are throwing open all of the doors and gates and windows and every other entryway that can be opened to our consciousness and allowing Lucifer to enter. If we take on public opinions as our own and do not lay a foundation for our judgments that is any deeper than the foundation laid in dreams, we are holding open the gate for Lucifer. When, for example, we are told by one side or another to consider someone a great statesman or a great ruler or not to be blamed for the war or a great general without examining it ourselves, then our reasons for having such an opinion are no different than our reasons for dreaming one thing or another. A great number of people had, until recently, considered Woodrow Wilson a great man because he brought those nonsensical fourteen points into the world. Ask yourself about the inner conviction people felt in expressing this high opinion of him, and you will find that there is no difference between the conviction they felt in thinking Woodrow Wilson a great man and the conviction they feel about something they dream. The dream comes to them with the same inner willfulness or unwillfulness as this judgment of Woodrow Wilson at his fourteen points. There is no difference between dreaming while fully conscious and dreaming while sleeping. There is no difference between agreeing with the voices of the external world that Ludendorff is a great general or Clemenceau is a great statesman and dreaming at night about one thing or another. But we must be aware of this because in noticing such things we simultaneously arrive at an understanding of how luciferic forces take hold of us in the world. We are grasped by luciferic forces in the world in the moments when we dream while conscious. Regarding general public opinion, a large number of people in the world today have acted in a truly childish way and continue to do so to this day. These are matters that must be taken even more seriously than most people believe. And the other important thing 
is that we learn lessons from life. Regarding the will, we are completely asleep. I have often said this before. I have said to you, you have mental pictures of what you do, but not of what inwardly directs your hand when you move it. People do not typically have any imagination of that. The mental picture most people have of the strange process connected with human will is as incomplete as the mental picture they have of what they do in their sleep. In most people's lives, the will exists as a kind of waking sleep. We must work to bring this will to consciousness. In terms of earth time, this is going to be a long process, brought to consciousness in parts, first in one area of life, then in a little while in a few others but then particularly notably in one area, for example, in our eurythmy. In eurythmy, movements are undertaken out of fully awake consciousness. There, the will is truly integrated with full consciousness. This is why in my introduction to eurythmy forms, I have often pointed out how essential it is for the eurythmist to fight against all dormant forms of existence and to work to achieve the opposite of dreamlike things. It is a grave error to practice eurythmy in anything other than a fully conscious state, to practice it as something mystical. I mean mystical in the sense of the mystics of old. It is already a mistake to live mystically in everyday life, and even worse, when something intended to be practiced in the opposite of a dreamlike state is instead practiced mystically but we must also strive to fully integrate our will life with our fully awake consciousness in the rest of our life, outside of eurythmy as well. Again, we have an instance where a large number of people are working to achieve the opposite, the opposite of what should be seen as a basic task of our time. It is a basic task of our time to fill all of life with consciousness and not merely with understanding. Understanding is very one-sided. People believe they can gain understanding of supersensory truths through mystical means, through mediums, in other words, by means that do not involve consciousness at all. There is no more luciferic, aramonic pathway to the spiritual world than via these pseudo-spiritual methods. On the one hand, because a medium is involved, it leads toward the luciferic. On the other hand, because people allow mediums to proclaim these truths to them, it leads toward the aramonic. And the content of such truths, or so-called truths, follows the same paths. Everything that the medium has to say about the supersensory does not even hold as much meaning as the sensory world does. The sensory world holds significance for the whole of earth evolution. What mediums tell us only has significance for a very brief period of time, if it touches upon truth at all. It only has meaning for certain elementary spiritual realities during a brief period of time. You will experience higher truths simply by looking at the world through healthy eyes and listening through healthy ears for a lifetime than you do when you ask a medium to tell you something about the supersensory world. 
From this and other similar matters, you can see that on one hand there is a great demand for a renewal of spiritual life at present, but that on the other hand there is also deep opposition to what has been prepared for this time in the fount of true spiritual life. People today resist the integration of the spiritual into the physical sensory world. This resistance, it can be encountered in nearly every area of society, and it is what you should recognize behind the various objections raised against spiritual science as it is meant here. This spiritual science as it is meant here is clear in saying that even the things which are to enter public social life in the future must flow out of the fount of initiation. What results from that, things such as the threefold social order, people do not necessarily like some of these things. There are people who say about them, I do not really like this or that part. These people should learn to understand what complete thinking is. In life it does not matter what we like or do not like. I once knew a woman, I have told this story often, who spent some time listening to an explanation of spiritual science. Then she said, yes, but this uh, reincarnation, this repetition of lives on earth, I do not really like that idea. I do not want to come back to earth. Well, I tried to make it clear to her that it did not matter whether she wanted to during this lifetime, for she did not know yet what she would want between death and her next birth. By then she would want to return. Well, she seemed to understand this and left saying that she did. That was in Berlin. Later, from Stetten, she wrote a postcard in which she said that she did not believe it. She did not like the idea of coming back to earth. In this case, the disruption in thinking was dynamic. It went back and forth. It can also be quite mechanical and constant. We have also experienced an instance of this close to home. The following example itself makes some sense, but the fact that it also repre- is, that it is also representative of the way that many people think, that makes a lot less sense. At a gathering, I was talking about how human beings return to earth through reincarnation as individual human souls. Animals, I explained, have a group soul, and though each human being has an individual soul that is protected for the time between death and new birth, appearing again in that person's next life with him or her, when an animal dies it is taken back into the whole of the group soul. Each individual animal is drawn out from the group soul in birth and then retracted like a tentacle back into the group soul at death. When I said this a woman began to argue with me. Yes, she said, that made sense for all animals except for her dog whom she particularly loved and whom she had raised such that he had such a very strong individual personality and would come to earth again as an individual. After that I had a conversation with another woman who said that woman was so silly to believe that her dog, which only has a group soul, would reincarnate as an individual. I saw right away that that could not be the case. But my parrot, he will certainly reincarnate as an individual. That is altogether different. To be sure, we can laugh about something like this, but in cases such as this one, we can notice the error in thinking 
even as it is being made. In the case of the apparent confusion about the threefold social order and its relationship to spiritual science, people do not notice how short-sighted their thinking is. In the last five years, I have seen people favor countless assessments exactly like this example with the parrot. The people in one country make statements about what things are like everywhere else in the world. But, of course, their country, their home, is always entirely different, just like the woman and her reincarnating parrot. We must take these matters seriously now and be able to see clearly that initiation science must also be allowed into public social life in order to avoid any confusion about the difference between what we would like to believe and what is actually real. It may be the case that many people today are now comfortable with the threefold social order. But there are two choices in the world today, and those who see things truthfully and properly have no illusions about it. They see that there are two choices. Either Bolshevism spreads over the entire world, or we establish the threefold social order. Perhaps you do not like the idea of threefolding. In that case, you are choosing an old world order. Think for a moment about what is left of a large portion of Europe in the wake of these last four or five years. Consider the individual areas. For example, take a look at Austria, Germany, as it is currently, with the exception of certain individuals whom I have written about in my book titled The Riddles of the Human Being. Its general substance can be traced back to the Catholic principles of the 8th and 9th centuries A.D. Those principles are still living there as is evidenced first by the naturally unifying presence of the so-called Habsburg House, then by the altogether unnaturally unifying presence of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Or, consider, for example, that area once made up of the nations of the Holy Austro-Hungarian Empire, Hungary. Its entire constitution is still more or less the same as it was in 1000 A.D., and we could go through every area one by one and identify the period from which its general essence stems. It is particularly discomforting to say these things to people today because they do not want to consider such matters in an unbiased way. But how are we to believe that simply by piecing together these scraps which have grown old and rotten because they date back to the 8th or 9th century of the year 1000 A.D., we can create well-bonded and stable structures. No, to do that we need a true renewal of the soul life. This must be understood as fact. Thus we must always turn toward our feeling of human responsibility to hold this soul life in view. If we are able to hold it in view, then we will also come to direct ourselves toward it. Tomorrow I will speak more about these matters, and in particular about the relationship between what I have said today and an understanding of the Christ impulse. The end of Lecture 8